I noticed the woman right away because something just didn't seem right. I'd gotten up to preach, looking around the room, and I can see people, which by the way, you can keep in mind, I, I can see you, I, I can see what you're doing. And sometimes I think, should I tell them I can see what they're doing? But that's, that's another story. But as I was looking over the congregation, there was this woman and her demeanor was just not right. And her verbal um, facial feedback, just something. So I already had it in my head that something was strange here. And I was out after the service at the Have We Met table where I stand afterwards. And there was a little bit of a line and this woman got in the line. And I could see, because I'm looking over people's shoulders, that she is getting more and more agitated. And I'm like, okay, if she reaches into her purse and starts to pull something out, I'm just gonna tackle her. But I mean, those are the days we live in. And uh, so she comes up to me and she just lays into me. She starts talking about how evil I am and how despicable I am. And Carla Lawson is standing right behind her and her eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this woman finally yells at me and storms off. And I turned around and went, so Carla, how are you today? Um, it was really weird and really awkward, but I just kind of shook it off. And that might be an extreme example, but our lives are filled with encounters and intersections with people that don't always go right. Sometimes, in fact, they go very wrong. And most of the time, nine times out of ten, you kind of need to just shake it off. Or in the immortal words of Elsa, let it go. But every once in a while, something happens in a relationship. And for the relationship to survive, or for you to survive the relationship, it requires something more than just shrugging it off. It requires forgiveness. Forgiveness is crucial to our faith. I mean, it is right at the center of what we believe that God offers to us. It's really important. It's critical to our faith, but it's also critical to our own relationships. And I think it's critical for us as individuals in a congregation at this time when we're asking, you know, what's next? How do we need to approach relationships? And forgiveness is a huge part of that. So we're going to check out a small portion of the scriptures today from Matthew chapter 6. It's right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is giving a lot of instructions. And he is just like us. He has just prayed the Lord's Prayer. So that should be fairly fresh in your minds. And this, these two verses follow right on the heels of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this is an important passage um, but it introduces this slightly interesting idea. It seems to set up that our sins will be forgiven if we forgive the sins of people who have sinned against us. And if we don't forgive those people's sins, then our sins won't be forgiven either. There's this linkage between our forgiveness and the way that God forgives us. So, if we're going to talk about forgiveness, let's figure out what forgiveness is first of all. Forgiveness is not denial. Denial is a refusal to acknowledge reality. Maybe your children have cut you off 
and you can't handle the fact that your children refuse to speak to you, so you come up with an excuse for them. Oh, they're so busy. That, that's denial. Your kids hate you, but that's painful, and so it's easier to live in denial. Uh, forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not tolerating. Sometimes we're in a relationship and for whatever reason we're like, there's nothing I can do, I might as well just learn to live with it. That, that's not forgiveness either. It's not excusing. And I think that's what one of the biggest confusions with forgiveness is, is people confuse forgiveness and excusing. Um, but forgiveness is not excusing. Most interpersonal issues can be excused. I have no idea what was going on with that woman. I don't know if she was off of her meds. I don't know if she had a really bad week. I don't know, but it, I can excuse her behavior. Now, if she keeps coming back and doing that, that's different. Um, it wasn't great what she said to me, but who knows what was going on in her life. And so for situations like that, some of them are bigger and some of them are smaller for any number of reasons, you just gotta let it go. But that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness isn't just letting go. It's not excusing. So how do you tell the difference between what needs to be excused and what needs forgiving? Uh, one of my college professors, uh, no, it wasn't a college professor, it was a grad school professor, Lewis Smeads has done really seminal work in this idea of forgiving. And Smeads has been dead 20 years probably, but you can still find his books on forgiveness. Uh, they're that good. So if you want to delve a little bit deeper, look up Lewis Smeads' book, S-M-E-D-E-S. -E -E and Smeads says, we suffer a lot of superficial pains that nobody really needs to be given for, mere indignities that we simply have to bear with a measure of grace. We need to sort out our hurts and learn the difference between those that call for the miracle of forgiveness and those that can be born with a sense of humor. So the hurt that can't be born with a sense of humor, the hurt that requires the miracle of forgiveness in Smeed's language, generally has three aspects to it. It is always personal, it is always unfair, and it is always deep. Something that requires a surface level, that, that can be excused. So it has to be personal. It has to be a personal pain. We can only forgive people. People are the only ones who can be held accountable for what they do. And we can only forgive something that was done to us or something that affected us personally. We can't really forgive somebody for something that doesn't affect us at all. And if you want to read more about this, there's this great book called The Sunflower by Elie Wiesel, where he goes deep into what can be forgiven and what can't and what the challenges are. So second book recommendation in one sermon. You're getting your money's worth today. It has to be a personal pain and it has to be unfair. Our lives are cluttered with people who wound our feelings in small ways, but really don't mean us any particular harm. Hardly anybody gets up in the morning wanting to ruin your day. So most interpersonal reactions can just be, you know, it, it's not fair, but it's not that bad either. Um, so some of those things still just need to be let go. But some people are, are able to maintain a very impressive catalog of every slight perceived or real. You don't want to be that person. Personal pain has to be deeply unfair, and it has to be deep pain. It's something that just can't be let go, something that just can't be sloughed off, something that's keeping you up at nights, days and weeks and months later. 
If you are still focused on that, it might be an indication that the pain is so deep that you need to use forgiveness to work through that. And many of us know what that deep pain is like. Many of us have been deeply hurt or been cut to the core. We've received a wound that we never anticipated would come from the person that it came from. Those are real issues. And if we want to find healthy and God-honoring ways to move forward, we've got to look at forgiveness. So now let's try to make some sense of the scripture. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Does that mean if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you? I thought God was always willing to forgive. Yes, exactly. God is always willing to forgive. The question is, do we want to be forgiven? The ball is in our court. Let's think about it this way. Forgiveness is a gift. It's offered to us free of charge, not free of cost, because forgiveness costs Jesus everything, but it comes, to a, it comes as a gift to us free of charge. But if somebody is offering you a gift, what do you have to do? You have to take it. You have to receive the gift. So how do you receive forgiveness? In order to receive forgiveness, you have to say, you're right, I was wrong. I sinned, I hurt you, I did it. I take responsibility for that action that broke our relationship. And here is when I'll introduce the theological term for this. You have to repent. And repent is not the same as saying you're sorry. Repent says, I'm sorry, therefore I will change. If you don't repent, if you don't change, you've never really received forgiveness. And you've actually kind of made a mockery of it. Think of it this way. Let's say, God forbid, that a wife cheats on her husband and the affair, as they almost always do, comes to light and her husband finds out. He's devastated. The wife comes to him and says, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I will not do this again. And the husband forgives her. But if she does it again and again and again, by the third or fourth or fifth time, I think you're going to figure out that she isn't sorry at all. And they've just received your forgiveness as a license to keep doing what they were doing. They've taken forgiveness and turned it into a license, which basically they interpret as, it's okay because they're going to forgive me. But they have never been forgiven because they haven't changed their behavior. Forgiveness is not license. Forgiveness requires change. So forgiveness is a gift that God offers us, but we have to receive it by acknowledging and owning our stuff and then beginning to change. And then the second aspect. If you really have been forgiven, you'll forgive other people. If you won't forgive others, there's a good chance that you have never really received forgiveness. And Paul reminds Jesus' followers of this in Colossians chapter 3.13, where he says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And there's that linkage. You've been forgiven, 
you know how that's changed, so extend that to other people. And Jesus himself understands that we will be tempted to hoard forgiveness. I will accept forgiveness, but giving it is more difficult. And so he tells the parable of the unforgiving servant a little bit further along in Matthew chapter 18, which in a nutshell says that um, a, a guy is forgiven a debt that he could never repay, I mean, a lifetime's worth of money, and he is forgiven that. And immediately after he receives the forgiveness of his debt, he goes out and he finds somebody who owes him the equivalent of five bucks, and he has him thrown into debtor prison. And when the guy who forgave him hears about this, he calls him back in and he says, how can you be so ungrateful? I just forgave you for this enormous sum, and you're going to throw somebody in prison for five bucks? And the upshot is that he's thrown into prison too, which helps us to understand what God is talking about here. If you forgive, you've been forgiven. If you don't, then you probably haven't been forgiven either. And then the story, this parable, is actually told in response to a question of Peter. Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive somebody? Should I get, forgive them seven times? You know, Peter's feeling all magnanimous. That's pretty good, huh, Jesus? And Jesus is like, oh, 10 times that amount, which is to say, essentially, you can stop forgiving when God stops forgiving you. And if you stop before God quits forgiving you, then you really don't understand forgiveness at all. So let's get back to thinking of forgiveness as a gift. We receive it as a gift from God, but God also gives it to us as a gift that we can give to others and to ourselves. It's a gift that we can give to others because forgiveness will heal relationships. I, I quite frequently use that Colossians passage in weddings. And every time I marry someone, I pray that their marriage will be characterized by the grace of forgiveness. Because if people in a relationship like marriage can't forgive one another, the marriage will never last. Because forgiveness allows a fresh start. And again, it's not excusing. You still have to say, that was, that's my stuff and I will change. And if you'll do that, it will make your marriage so much more likely to last and so much more fulfilling. It's a gift that we can give to someone else because it will heal our relationship. It's also a gift that we can give to ourselves because it heals us. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, uh, says something which I think is applicable, but which I'm adapting slightly. Buechner writes, to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Sometimes if we don't extend forgiveness, the only person it eats up is us. If we refuse to forgive, sometimes the other person doesn't even know there's a problem and we just become embittered and the skeleton at the feast becomes us. Now, some of us have horrific things that have happened to us in the past and forgiveness gives us the gift of not being defined by that event and not being chained to it. If we can forgive, again, it's not excusing, Forgiveness begins 
to set us free from whatever horrific thing happened in the past. All this comes about because as Jesus followers, we are built on a different foundation. Our culture keeps score. Jesus sets us free from that. We've been freely forgiven. We are free to forgive. We can make a break with the past. We can live into a different future, and we can do that now. Jesus always calls us to live into a new and a different reality, and that includes our relationships and how we handle our relationships with one another. But I wonder sometimes, where are we getting information about what a healthy relationship looks like? Are we getting it from talk shows? Are we getting it from the news? Are we getting it from celebrities that, that we follow? Because the news and the conversations around us give us one picture, that relationships are based primarily on emotions and convenience, that you don't have to keep your promises and you can get out whenever you want to for whatever reason you want. It sounds like freedom. I can do whatever I want to, but it's really a bondage. And if you flip that around, do you really want to be left for no good reason? Do you really want to have a friend who will betray you for their own gain? I don't think so. The biblical text presents a different picture of keeping promises and working through things to the glory of God and the health of individuals and relationships. There are people in this church that I have gone through really hard times with. And we've come together and we've said, let's work this thing out. And we have walked away as friends. There are others that haven't handled it that way. And that's always a shame when the relationship doesn't get fixed. So I think that Christian relationships have to be built on a foundation of forgiveness. Not license, not denial, not excusing, but forgiveness offered and received. So how does this forgiveness really happen? The biggest thing that people need to understand is that forgiveness happens slowly. Forgiveness happens over time. Forgiveness is not something that happens right away. And forgetting certainly isn't something that happens right away. You may never be able to forget, even as you work through forgiveness. You might be able to go to the person and talk things through. You might go to the person and have them respond really, really poorly. You might need to write a letter that you may never send. Sometimes the person won't respond at all, or sometimes they won't respond in the way that you had hoped. Sometimes the person is dead, and the best that you can do is get your own thoughts collected and articulated. But even so, you still have the opportunity to forgive so that you can be set free and begin to heal. Smeeds again. What the other person does is out of your control. It could be they don't care. Maybe they would prefer your hate. Maybe your hate justifies their hate for you. So when you forgive, you must often be content with the editing of your own memory. It's the editing of your memory that is your salvation. And what Smeeds means by editing our memory is not living in denial, but what he says is that you know that you are walking down the path of forgiveness when you can look back at the event and begin to see the other person's humanity. And you know that you are walking down the path of forgiveness when you can begin to wish the other person well. That's 
what will help you break free from the past. So let me ask you three questions. Is there an area of your life where you need to receive the forgiveness God offers? Number two, where are you getting information about what a healthy relationship looks like? And number three, if there is a person that you need to forgive, how will you begin that process? Thank you.